This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. This Thursday drive, WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad. And here's the latest we've got on the Carolina Panthers coaching search. Carolina had a strong interest in Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson decided earlier this week he's going to stay in Detroit another year and get a massive pay bump in doing so. That was before the Panthers could even interview him. David Tepper is supposed to meet with Sean Payton in New York City tomorrow. But that still feels like a bit of a long shot. Tom Pelissero has the report out there that a lot of dots are being connected between the Broncos and Sean Payton. A lot of headways being made there. It's unknown if Payton would want to work for a guy like Tepper or if the Panthers would even be comfortable shipping a first-round pick or maybe even multiple first-round picks, based on reports, to a division rival. So what's the most likely scenario? Well, there have been two names all along. This entire process, there have been two names at every turn. Steve Wilkes, of course, and former Colts coach Frank Reich. Two men that, if they were hired, a reaction from a non, a not small portion of the fan base would be, meh, a bit underwhelming. That would be the reaction from a not small portion of the fan base if either Wilkes or Frank Wright were hired to be the head coach. Unless, maybe we're thinking about this the wrong way. It seems like the best case scenario, the best answer for the Carolina Panthers, isn't hiring Wilkes or Reich, but hiring Wilkes and Reich. And I think that's possible. Just as long as Wilkes is the head coach. He's not going to accept anything less than that. And he shouldn't. He went 6-6 and with this team. Plus, The players want Steve Wilkes to be the guy, and it'll be awkward if, could you imagine if Steve Wilkes was the defensive coordinator, let's say, and there's another head coach, players would be like, well, this guy, he led us, and we wanted him to be the coach. It'd just be an awkward dynamic. Steve Wilkes would have to be the head coach if Steve Wilkes were to remain in Charlotte, and it's not just players in the locker room who are pushing for this. Greg Olson, who has become a major voice on television. He's pushing for this as well. He's going to broadcast the Super Bowl on Fox a few weeks from now. This is what the Panthers legend told Will Kunkel of Queen City News. You can change an NFL franchise very quickly. You got to get the right guy to do it. And there's no doubt in my mind from a culture standpoint, Steve Wilkes that's his strength. That's who he is. Guys want to play for him. Guys want to work with him. Guys respect him. That's, that's step one. Everything then falls into place as far as the X's and the O's and the football part. So you might be thinking, okay, Josh, Steve Wilkes will take the job. Why should Frank Reich take the job as an offensive coordinator if he's not going to get the head coaching gig? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody else even looking to hire Frank Reich as their head coach? What head coaching job is Frank Reich getting after being fired last year? I don't really see that job available right now. 
So if he wants to coach next season, odds are he's going to have to do so as an offensive coordinator. And now coordinator, Darren Vaught. Gosh, that still upsets me when I lose pronunciation arguments with Darren on the show. If you missed that, make sure you listen back to that on the podcast. But other than the team that fired him, there's no team with a head coaching opening right now that's closer to success than Carolina is. Now, you could look at some of the other teams that are looking for OCs. Byron Leftwich, officially fired today by Tampa Bay, for example. But is that a team that's closer to winning if Tom Brady doesn't return? I don't know about that. Also, there's some other factors to this. There's no salary cap for coaches. David Tepper's one of the richest owners in the NFL, if not the richest. He can make it worth Frank Reich's time in a way that maybe some of the other teams looking to hire an offensive coordinator won't. His brother, Frank Reich's brother, is Wingate's head coach around here. His daughter just announced on her Instagram that she just took a job with the Carolina Panthers. So there are some dots to connect there. And the more I think about it, and if you're a Panther fan, let me know if I'm wrong on this, if you would disagree with this. There is no result that would be more universally applauded than if Carolina hired Wilkes and Frank Wright. Would there? 336-777-1600. Because you'd get two head coaches instead of one. You'd get the guy who earned the opportunity to keep going and somebody else that's very well respected in the industry and was a Super Bowl winning play caller with the Eagles. You also wouldn't have to trade a first round draft pick in order to get him to get both these guys. Maybe two, again, based on that reporting from last night. So the answer, the way we talked about it, was probably all wrong. Maybe it's not Steve Wilkes or Frank Wright. Maybe it's both of them together as a package deal. That would be something incredibly appealing. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio, if you want to chime in that way, however and wherever you're listening, appreciate that. Will Dalton, the executive producer of the show, I should say watching as well, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, it's where we're streaming video. WD is a big Tar Heel fan. He's a big Panthers fan as well. So we scratched the Panthers itch. Now we need to get to the Tar Heels. WD, did you know that through 19 games, North Carolina has the same record this year that they did a year ago? Not until today. That's something I learned last night. Diving through some of the numbers, we're about at the halfway point of the season, about a couple months in. Turns out they're not exactly this world-beating elite team that everyone thought they were going to be going into the year. Who could have saw that coming? Rhetorical question. <laughs> they should be better than this, though. They should be better than 13-6. and six. And it seems like one of the problems they have to work through is with Caleb Love. Because he's the one piece, among the familiar parts that are back, among the core four, Puff Johnson, DeMarco Dunn, the bench players, he's the one significant piece that's objectively worse than he was a year ago. And they have to figure that out. Just like his freshman year, Caleb's become one of the least efficient players in college basketball. His freshman season, he had one of the 
least efficient seasons in 30 years that we've seen in the Atlantic Coast Conference. This is the part that's maddening. There's a couple things that are maddening here. He's shooting 10 percentage points lower from three, 27%. But his overall field goal percentage, percentage is higher, from 37% to 39%. Now, what does that tell you? tells me that he doesn't make a lot of good decisions with the shots he's supposed to take because he's top five, top six among players in three-point attempts, even though he's 27% from three. And if you're still shooting 39%, despite being 37% from three, that means when you shoot inside the arc, when you're getting to the rim, good things are actually happening. So it's a decision-making issue that you're talking about. Defensively, the analytics, he is abhorrent defensively. You just look at the numbers. When he's off the floor, how much better Carolina is on the defensive side. It's staggering. But is it because he doesn't know how to play defense? No. It's an effort thing, which makes it really frustrating again. He has a thick enough build that he should be a pretty good defender. And when he tries, he takes a big charge like he did the other night against Boston College. But... Boston College. And also, when he picked off an alley-oop against Wake Forest. He can make big defensive plays at turns when he's trying, but it doesn't really seem like on that side of the ball. He tries all that often. There really isn't a great excuse for why his three-point shooting numbers are down. RJ's getting the best perimeter defender on the other team. His three-point numbers have been really good this year. They've been able to recreate Brady Manick's production with him stepping up his game, Leaky Black hitting more threes. Puff Johnson shooting it better. Pete Nance is actually at 35% when he plays. So what we're talking about here is a Caleb Love problem, and this is what Hubert Davis has told Caleb Love of late. He shared with us. I just told him, I talked to him through my own experience. I told him one time in the NBA, um, I struggled to shoot the ball for an entire month. And one of the things that I did was I always... Um, I went through a checklist. You know, one of the things that I looked at was, was there anything, um, you know, wrong you know, in terms of fundamentally with my shot? You know, I told him that sometimes, at times, my elbow would come out a little bit too much or my guide hand thumb would be on the ball a little bit too much. And I said, looking at your shot, and when he was shooting the last couple days, I just said, it, it, to me, it just seemed just a smidge flat, just a little bit. So I said, just think about getting a little bit more arc on there. And I told him about um, the importance of continuing to shoot and continuing to shoot good shots. And then I told him about making impact plays in different areas. Getting all this down, Caleb, things you need to figure out. We do need to accept this reality. This is not a special Carolina team. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that you're the best program in college basketball but also you're going to accept where the standard is right now, the way that they're playing and confuse it with some of the other great teams that you've also called special 2017, 2009, 2005, where guys decided to return to school and they breathed fire. They were incredible world beating teams. This team's not ranked in the top 25 right now, and they shouldn't be unless they beat NC state on Saturday. Thus there'll be a top 25 ranked team. But that's a lot different than where they were as the preseason number one team. It was a fever dream last March. But that's not who they are. Good news is they're not worse than they were a year ago. They're better. They're not getting blown up, blown out by teams like they did a year ago. They've got guys back. They got a deeper rotation. 
So this is a good basketball team that you should enjoy watching, but don't just confuse it with what you saw in late March last year. Introducing the world's greatest entertainer, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Big ACC tournament news to share with you in just a bit. It's the end of an era for those who are in the know who have gone to ACC basketball games for a long time, ACC tournament basketball games. But before we get to that news item, I've got picks for this week. Four games. That's all we've got. Seven football games left in the season. Four this weekend, two championship weekend, and the Super Bowl. That's all we've got. And I've got plays on three of the four. Two and one last week. 68-53 and two on the season. 15 over 500. It's the best season we've ever had. Haven't had a losing week in now over three months. Here's what I got this week. If you're not gambling, come on now, let's talk some money. You're not trying. You are so money. You don't even know it. But you do. Let's play some bets. I'm going to make you rich. This is Graham's Gambling. Let's start with the Saturday slate. The Jags are getting eight and a half against Kansas City. It would have been a better matchup for the Jags if they were in Buffalo, in my opinion. But don't write off Jacksonville. Kansas City, they don't have a good secondary. Doug Peterson is known for throwing the ball over the top. Trevor Lawrence has been really hot over the last month of the season. Maybe I'm biased because former East Carolina Pirate Zay Jones is catching a ton of these balls in Jacksonville, but I think they're going to be able to move it, score a lot of points, make this a competitive game. This is the widest spread of the weekend, but I'm undeterred. Jags plus eight and a half to get us started. Send me that cash out, fam. Sunday, the Bills facing Cincinnati. WD, this is what we call some tea leaf reading. All the money early on in the week from the public was on Cincinnati. And the spread, I think, opened at four points. So it was Cincinnati plus four. Vegas then moved the line not to protect itself from Cincinnati betters. You would think that line would go down to three and a half or three. No, no, no. Buffalo is now a five-point favorite against Cincinnati. Huh? Buffalo didn't play that well at all against Miami. Talk about Joe Burrow and defending AFC champs. General principle, we're going to listen to Vegas. There's a reason why they have those big buildings up there. Buffalo lay the points. They played badly against Miami. Don't think Josh Allen struggles back-to-back weeks. Cincinnati's O-line situation is dim as well. We really like what Buffalo has up front with Oliver and former Deacon Carlos Boogie Basham putting pressure on Burrow. Buffalo, lay them. Send me that cash out, fam. And lastly, the San Francisco 49ers are laying three and a half against Dallas. Doesn't feel like this angle is being talked about enough. Maybe I'm not watching enough of the talking heads breaking this game down. But eight days of prep for San Francisco, who played on Saturday afternoon 
versus six days for the Cowboys, less than six days for the Cowboys, and they have to fly to San Fran. Doesn't seem like a great recipe. Dallas isn't as great up front, particularly on offense, as they've been in the past. San Francisco is just a wagon. And their physicality, plus Christian McCaffrey and all these dudes that just don't go down, and Debo Samuel perhaps added to the mix. I love San Francisco in this spot. Don't really care that the number is a little bit more than a field goal. Let's lay him. Send me that cash out, fam. So in review, Jags plus eight and a half. The Bills minus five. The Niners minus three and a half. That's what we've got this weekend. To that ACC news. RIP to block seeding at the ACC tournament. Tickets have been on sale for the ACC tournament in Greensboro. Less than a couple months away from that. And what's new is each school receiving tickets intermingled around the Coliseum, which will give schools equal seating options in the Coliseum. There are no longer the designated school sections. If you have great block seating stories, I'd love to hear them. I know Permar does, and we'll play skips or plays with Hayes and pick his brain on this subject a little bit later on. But everybody who's been to the tournament a handful of times knows that if you're looking for tickets the next day, you're kind of paying attention where certain fan sections are. And if their team loses, you try to find the fan that has tickets for the future days that their team just got eliminated. They're not going to stick around for. So perhaps you can get, you can upgrade your seating that way. And that seems like now it's a thing in the past. It was perfect for a smaller ACC. Eight teams, good with a, actually pretty good with 12. But just another reason to blame the Big East schools, I guess, making things worse. What have the Big East schools added in basketball? Notre Dame won the ACC tournament in 15 against Carolina. Thanks. Louisville, they haven't added anything since joining. Look how bad they are. They're just driving down the ACC. Did they win a national title? Not well in the, in the ACC. Oh, okay. Plus, that was vacated, so <laughs> never happened. No. Wipe that from your memory. I don't know what you're talking about. Luke Hancock with uh, Fu Manchu oh, yeah. with the beard. Good stuff. Didn't happen. No. Forget I, about who's it. Who's Luke Hancock? I don't, I don't even know what Spike you're Albrecht about. shooting his shot with Kate Upton. Didn't <laughs> happen. Nope. Nope. Supposed to forget about it. March is going to be nostalgic. It's the first real... ACC tournament that's been in Greensboro in eight years because 2020, we can agree, abnormal. Just a bit. 2021, still limited seating. I remember running into BDOT there and a few others, but you you couldn't. It was maybe 20% capacity, if memory serves correct. If you're in the ACC league officer, if you are someone who works at the Coliseum and remember those details, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it was maybe 20% or a specific number. It wasn't close to what we'd come to expect. Last year it was in Brooklyn. First time in eight years. And it's happening as the ACC league office 
their headquarters are transitioning still from Greensboro to Uptown Charlotte. That process is expected to be complete by June and July. So it'll be emotional. It'll be nostalgic, this tournament that's coming up. I wish they would have kept block seating for just one more year in Greensboro. Just give us that one last time. But I guess it's for the best. On the drive with Josh WSJS. I feel like this is just like a starter course. Stripes, Animal House, Blues Brothers, Caddyshack. Those four. Have you seen Caddyshack? I have not seen Caddyshack. Okay, that's it. That's it. That groan at the end is fantastic <laughs> from Mayan Eagle. It's how all of us feel anytime we learn about the movies you have not seen. But you watched Caddyshack 1980 last night. Within a month span, Caddyshack, Blues Brothers, and Airplane came out the same year. Read that somewhere. Think it's accurate. Haven't double-checked that. Probably should have. Let's dive deep into the movie, though, that we're talking about right now that you watched last night. What some believe to be the greatest golf movie of all time, Caddyshack, at the movies is right now. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You uncultured swine! But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. Okay. I feel like I just dropped the bomb there a second ago. Maybe we can revisit the best golf movie ever conversation a little bit later on. We'll get back to College Hoops and the Panthers shortly, too. WD, what did you like about Caddyshack? To, in a broad sense, Rodney Dangerfield's performance in this. Really, you could just pick the entire cast. Uh, yeah, but I, I know Rodney Dangerfield, so I'll... Don't you really don't know Bill Murray and Chevy Chase? I know Bill Murray. You didn't know Chevy Chase? No. Chevy Chase. Is that surprising to you at this point? A, a little bit. Oh. A little bit, considering he was the biggest star of this movie, Chevy Chase, as Ty Webb. But here's something you might find interesting about uh, Dangerfield. That's his first movie. Really? That's his first movie. That's what really made him huh. a superstar. I did not know that. He's a, he's a stand-up comedian, right? Yeah. Okay. This is what introduced him really to television and movies. Now, had he made it as a stand-up before this? Yeah. Or vice versa? I don't know. Yeah, but as a movie star, this was his yeah. first movie. Hmm. And obviously the movie that most people associate him with, but... Really, all of them. Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Ted Knight, who is probably best known for the Mary Tyler Moore show in the 70s. This, He's probably memed the most from this movie nowadays. Right, you will be hard-pressed to find a gift that's, that's used more than, well, we're waiting... It's great. Lacey Underall, Cindy Morgan throwing 100 miles an hour the uh -huh. entire movie. I also enjoyed the Dalai Lama scene, the, the story. Dalai, Let's get to that. Dal Dalai Lama. Let's get to that later. <laughs> what didn't you like about Caddyshack? And by the way, we have some huge 
breaking ACC news that we'll get to uh -huh. right when we're done with this. Uh, <sighs> this movie made this movie made my brain hurt. That that's my critique of it. To quote <laughs> Rick James in Chappelle's show, circa 2004, cocaine's one hell of a drug. Yeah, mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's the right answer if you try to follow the story, which I did. It will make your brain hurt because yes. it's not coherent. Fell, it fell apart like melted cheese. That's right. And if you are wanting to push back on that, I invite you to give me any explanation for why Ty Webb is practicing his golf, practicing getting some swings in at night when him and Bill Murray... I mean, he's playing through in his house. None of it makes sense. None of it does. But we got a scene with Murray and Chevy Chase, who infamously did not like each other going back to their SNL days. We got that scene. So it doesn't make sense. Feels like everybody in the movie and everybody who made the movie was, was on Coke before everybody knew that Coke was a terrible thing in 1980. And yeah, the movie's not really coherent, but still madly funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing, getting my quote ready here. What's the best quote? So I had I had two, but I'm going to go with this one. A flute with no holes. It's not a flute. A donut with no hole. It's a Danish. <laughs> yeah, that one's been used. The I'm the ball scene. Yeah. You do drugs every day. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm just going to read the Dalai Lama story. Please. We'll do this in whole. Uh-huh. Okay. Wasn't this David Glenn's favorite scene of the movie? Probably. So I jump ship in Hong Kong and make my way over to Tibet, and I get on as a looper at a course over the Himalayas. A looper? Yeah, a looper. You know, a caddy, a looper, a jock. So I tell him, I'm a pro jock. And who do you think they give me? The Dalai Lama himself. <laughs> Twelfth son of the Lama. The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. So I'm on the first tee with them. I give him the driver. He hauls and whacks one. Big hitter, the Lama. <laughs> Long into a 10,000 foot crevice right at the base of a glacier. You know what the Lama says? Go, 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 go. So we finish the 18th and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Dolly Lama. How about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know? And he says, oh, there won't be any money. When you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's oh. one of the funniest scenes in the oh. history of comedies, oh. that story. Rotten Tomatoes score. Hmm. Can you get it within five? Let's go with um, an 88. 87. Boom. Bang, bang, pow, pow. That's been at the movies. Caddyshack edition. I feel like we need to get to this ACC news that has dropped in the last five minutes or so. Mike Bray... Notre Dame's winningest coach, former assistant for Coach K at Duke, 
will retire at the end of the season. It has now been reported by multiple outlets. Mike Bray is 63 years old. This March, he will turn 64. That's not particularly old, but Notre Dame's not having the best of seasons. You have this class of players who've been there forever that I'm sure Mike Bray is close with. He's going to finish out with those guys. And depending on who they hire next, it's going to be just a bunch of people younger than 60 years old and Jim Beheim, who is the oldest coach in college basketball history. Still got Leonard Hamilton, though. Oh, that's true. Leonard. I think it was me and Connor O'Neill, maybe at the Wake Forest, or maybe it was somebody else. We were talking about how, like, Leonard Hamilton, he's, like, one of the last OGs left in the ACC. Yeah. Him and well, Beheim and Bray. And Larinaga. That's right, yeah. That's him. So, you have all these. He's part of the old guard. And I'm going to miss Mike Bray because one of the most entertaining guys, too. He's one of the coaches you can search Mike Bray shirtless and something's going to come up. It's going to be him in a one of those Hawaii tournaments pumping up his guys in the locker room. He wore shorts coaching a game one time. He mastered the casual garb before it was popular. Mike Bray and Bob Huggins. Those were the two guys. So that's some pretty big breaking news that wanted to pass along to you. Is Caddyshack the greatest golf movie of all time? I'm not asking you, WD, because have you seen any other golf movies? Have you watched Happy Gilmore? I've seen Happy Gilmore. Bagger Vance? Never heard of it. Tin Cup? Never heard of it. Okay. Yep. Those are the ones that are in the conversation. I take Caddyshack over Happy Gilmore because I believe Happy Gilmore is paying homage in a lot of ways to Caddyshack the be the ball example like the be the ball ball how about you go home that entire sequence i can't say it's happy gilmore because happy gilmore is essentially the same movie as billy madison it's hard to really differentiate the two so by that logic that. give me caddyshack tin cup and bagger vans they're fun watches i enjoy watching both of those movies but they're not great movies so I will stand on the mountain. I'll die on the hill of Caddyshack being the greatest golf movie ever. I will. We need to figure out what you're watching next week, though. Do we have really any movies in the can? Because, like, I mean, I watched Social Network. I watched Heat. That had been in there for a while. There are two. The Departed and Goodfellas. That's true. They're both mob movies. When's the last time we made you watch a mob movie? I don't know, because I feel like I've seen something mob. I mean, we've seen bank robbery stuff. I won't. I wouldn't consider that. Yeah, mob. he and the town. Maybe Scarface a mob movie. Yeah. So yeah, that. But this is different. This is a different kind of mob. This is the Italian mob. This is. These are. This is part of the Godfather lineage, where you had the Godfather movies in the seventies. Goodfellas in the 90s, or I guess late 80s, early 90s. And then The Departed comes out. Casino is also in the mid-90s. Yeah, The Departed's 
great, and it's the last real good Nicholson performance. One of those two. We'll see what Permar thinks, and we'll figure out whether or not you watch The Departed or Goodfellas or if there's something else I can think of that the audience submits at WSJS Radio on Twitter. That's also where we're streaming video in addition to YouTube and on Twitch. It's The Drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. We've got a lot of business to take care of with Hayes Permar of Sports Channel 8. Skips her plays with Hayes, some ACC headlines as well. But before we get into that, a word from our friends at Contour Brands, maker of Lee and Wrangler jeans. Obviously, you know Lee and Wrangler jeans. Sometimes you got to make sure to spell things out clearly, though. Can't just assume that people know things. We made WD watch Caddyshack, for example, last night, and I learned today he didn't know who Chevy Chase was until the last 24 hours. New Roddy Dangerfield, so that's a plus, but just got to spell things out like that. Contour Brands. Oh, yeah, maker of Lee and Wrangler jeans. They're looking for employees. So if you're trying to start a new career, why not make it at Contour Brands? Great ties here to the state of North Carolina. You start by making $15. That's the base minimum with the potential to make a lot more. Contour Brands, K-O-N-T-O-O-R, brands.com, where you can start your new career today couple headlines in the ACC to get to with Hayes Permar, who joins us now. Hayes, the breaking news of the last hour first before the ACC tournament stuff, Mike Bray is going to retire after this basketball season. Where does Mike Bray rank on the fun ACC coaches you've encountered over the last few decades? Oh, man. I, you know, I'm not good at ranking because I'll leave people out, but he's like top tier. Uh, easily top three to five, whatever top percent, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'll never forget sitting down with Mike Bray at ACC uh, Operation Basketball and interviewing him. We're sports late sitting there, and uh, and he sits down and and you know he's he's going from place to place. And he goes, he's like, uh, remind me who are you guys again? And uh, we're like, sports late in the triangle. He's like, oh yeah, sports late. Love you guys. Clearly, I had no idea who we were, but went with the love you guys. And uh, we always appreciate him for that. So uh, he loves us. We love him. Big Mike Bray fan. Wasn't he one of the first people to – I feel like when we went in pandemic uh, attire, people were getting loose. But Mike Bray, I believe, was maybe the first to bust out gym shorts in the Dean Dome while coaching a game. Yes. Uh, again, just a, a testament to how cool and laid back he is. The so, two, big Mike Bray fan. Love the, him. The two trendsetters for casual wear – Bob Huggins and Mike Bray, they really set the tone for where we're at today. But the big... Well, yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike Bray was definitely an innovator of the mock uh, uh, turtleneck back, back in the day. When, like, you had to have a sports coat on, but he was like, I don't want to have a tie. What can I do that still says I'm dressing up but really isn't? And yes, he and Bob Huggins both went strong with the mock tee uh, and, uh, and made it casual wear. But shorts... That's just another level. Hayes Permar with us here. This isn't exactly breaking news, but somebody noticed something with the ACC tickets being put out and put on sale in the last few weeks in Greensboro that 
there's a specific section that said new this year, each school will receive tickets intermingled around the Coliseum rather than the school sections, the block seating that has been known at the ACC for decades have folks messaging the show saying, man, me and my dad, we always used to figure out ways to sit near Boston College fans or to sit near fans of bad teams so that way we can try and get a better deal on tickets moving forward. It really is the end of an era. Hayes, what's the best story you have on block seating and how did you feel when you saw this news? All right, well, let's start here. What do you mean it's not breaking news? Like, Sports Channel 8 gets the scoop on something, and you want to diminish it? Like, this was huge, and we broke it. I want credit, and this is big news. Do you have a sounder for breaking news, Will? This is a big deal. We broke this. We have the hip-hop air horn, I guess. So, breaking news, this is the closest you're going to get to a sounder. Yes, no longer will there be a map. Where a a it just uh, it, it built into the rivalries because regardless of how fair the ACC tried to be, and it obviously like everything else, this was so much better back in the day when it was eight teams, or even I'll allow for the '90s of Florida State nine teams or whatever. And you know, you just we're, we're counting who got mid court how many times between State, Duke, UNC, and then on another level, yeah, you were trying to find whoever was the worst in the league. A lot of times Virginia uh, or, you know, I'm trying to think of other teams in the in the 90s. Florida State was um, pretty bad some of those years. In the 90s? I don't know. They, they had some solid years in the 90s. I'm oh, yeah. Who was, like, who was consistently bad in the 90s? Maybe Clemson. Oh, there's Clemson no doubt. Like they, were the, they were the Wednesday Raycom special. You have yeah. Georgia but, Tech. But, Georgia but for, Tech. Uh, actually, Georgia Tech was decent. For a few years. For, Virginia owned – well, I mean, NC State was the worst in the league. I mean, they were the – the Les Robinson Invitational was uh, because it, State kept coming in last and playing on that uh, first game. Virginia held that for a few years. But regardless, yes, you were trying to look at the mat and find a team that was either in 8th or ninth or now in 14th or 15th that still had good seats, and you try and find out if you – do you know people that are there – could you even, like, people would even hit up their athletic department and just say, hey, I'm a so-and-so alum, I want to buy tickets. And people could get tickets that way. Just like Boston College, Pitt, there's no gatekeeping. You just hit them up, and they would get you tickets, a book of tickets. Um, and it also just takes away from the whole scalping scene back in the day where, like, team loses. And this, this is regardless of whether you're a good team or a bad team. If you're the number one seed and on semifinal night you lose, People are camping out behind you while you're walking out, and then you're mad and you like don't want to give your tickets up, but also you're like, well, if somebody's offering me three hundred dollars for these tickets, I don't, you know, even if it's a fan of a rival team, am I mad enough and fan enough to walk away and just eat the, the, these tickets and find somebody else to give them to or whatever it is? Boston College might be for uh, for block seating. They used to. They've changed this now. They used to. Like, make sure that, uh, I guess in, in any session, there's two games, which is four teams. And so they would try and have, like, family rotate in per game instead of per session. And in 2005, we had a couple people that were walk-ons for NC State that were friends of ours. And some, like, I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but we ended up with family tickets 
Because you, you could just before electronics, you could exchange ticket stubs in the hallway, and if you held that ticket stub, you held the seat. They didn't know that you just got it from you know a player's dad who's not going to sit for the second day, game, right? Like you got the, the ticket, it's yours. But somehow we were like family. I want to say it was like uh, maybe it was a state weight game in the ACC tournament, and I I can't remember exactly what it was, but we were family so we were first two rows whereas the whole rest of the section behind us was the team opposite that we were pulling for and that just made for an eventful night another hall of fame block seating team is the whole uh greenberg family they used to just own what like the front section of whatever the virginia tech group was and they would be loud and proud so um r.i.p block seating we'll miss it hayes permar with us here from sports channel eight now let's get to skips or plays with Hayes. Hayes Permar is somewhat of a renaissance man, an expert in the finer things, but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. He was like, oh, six, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and Lil Trick. I just need a Zion and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for skips or plays with Hayes. WD, what's the theme this week? Well, we wanted to do this a few weeks back, but I don't think I got the memo right. So here's what we're going to do. Oh, we're running something back? We're going to do something right. So Christmas music? I wish. (laughs) Don't get get me started, Hayes. I'm going to have to call an audible. No, because I watched Caddyshack for the first time last night, I got to thinking about like older music. So we're going to do a song that was done 10 years ago, a song that was done 20 years ago, and a song that was done 30 years ago to really make you feel old. Okay, so 2013. Now that we're in 2023, it's 2013, 2003, and 1993. What is... Okay, what's 2013? What do you bring into the table? One of my favorite years of music, and this is one of my favorite songs, Mirrors, Justin Timberlake. When you listen to this song, do you listen to the eight-minute version or do you listen to the radio edit? I'm asking you, WD. Oh, I usually usually go... I go eight-minute. Good for you. Eight-minute. I'm about it. I own this album. 2020 experience or something like that? Yeah, I think I own this album as well. And I'm trying to think, like... ah. Came out like in two right parts. The edge of a let, it, let it run. Let me see how I feel about it. Oh, let's wait till we get to the to the chorus. But JT, are you in generally on JT? I'm 100 in on JT. Okay. Love JT. I won't bore you with the long story of how I almost played golf with uh, Justin Timberlake, and the word "almost" is doing a lot of lifting there in the classic like six degrees of. Uh, Permar separation. You know, I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew him, and we were going to be at the same place at the same time. The place was a nice golf course in my mind. I thought I might be able to arrange it, but in my but I like to tell the story. It's just like I almost played golf with him. So. If you like Justin Timberlake, uh, I don't see how you could skip this song because this is this is this song's fire, Hayes. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's I don't know. It's a little kvetchy for me. Mirrors like it's almost like it's trying too hard to be a. a a deep song 
when when I like you know Timberlake can can be deep, but I like more Timberlake just for a good time. I'm I'm skipping this. Maybe I'm in a sour mood today. If it was if it was suit and tie, I'd play it. But I'm not feeling mirrors looking back at me right now. Um, I'm skipping it. Hate it. Did Suit and Tie come out in 2013? Same album, yeah. It's uh, I don't need too. introspective Justin Timberlake. It's about Jessica Biel. Not to mention it's just a I don't banger. need it. What's... I, need, I mean, I need I need vengeful, sad, hurt, crying a river Justin Timberlake, or like super party fun Timberlake. Senorita. You know? or, or SNL Timberlake. Yeah, S- Senorita, yes. Or yeah. SNL Timberlake. It feels like something's heating up. What's next? 2003. That probably came out around 2003. What do you got? 2003. We're going to go Somewhere I Belong, Linkin Park. This is the Linkin Park song from this album we're doing. Yep. (laughs) Wow. I'm listening. I know that. I'll be honest. Darren Vaught would, would would play it immediately. Uh-huh. I know this song. I know the <laughs> I know the song, but I'm just surprised that this is the uh, this is the song you chose from this album. Um, I'm gonna skip this. I'm not feeling this Lincoln Park. Sorry. It's such a risk hey, took there. Such a great risk. I know. I, I thought that might do it. Okay. Let's go 1993 to close things out. See if we can get Big a play. Here. Like, I mean, this Big is going to be great. You could have done Numb or Numb and Encore off that album. Oh, I didn't think about Numb. I would have I skipped both of those either. Numb's anyway. too generic. Numb? It's too generic. You would have skipped Numb. Great karaoke song, Numb. I played as a bump all the time. It's too generic. Too basic. Yeah. Okay. What's right. 93? This is going to crush or just burn in, into the ground. Uh, Big go. Whitney Houston year 93. Hold one sec. Burn it to the ground. Great Linkin Park song. Just throwing that <laughs> yes. out. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Big, Big Whitney Houston year 93, but I'm going a different route because I just I needed to do it. Oh, Carolina by Shaggy. Shaggy was putting out what? stuff in 93? What? What? I don't know this song. <laughs> How do we not know about this song, Burmar? I don't know. Was it used for a movie or something? Uh, looks like maybe it was popular in like Britain. It sounds like something the Brits would like. This was not a hit. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not even an original. It's a, it's a remake. Wow. I mean, the door was wide open for 1993. That was like, you know, my teen years. I'm going to like anything from 1993. You, you did a, you, you had whoop there it is. I mean, like. How did you find these songs, WD? I just looked up top charts. And Oh Carolina by Shaggy was on the Billboard Red chart Shaker. 93? Th- this wasn't on the Billboard. No. This was like top of the Google search. Nothing but a G thing. I mean, 93. <laughs> I had to, just what? A whole new world from the Latin? I would have taken that. I had to take the gamble, Hayes. 
Runaway train from Solosaw. No, yeah, yeah. I, I respect that. You did say this was either going to crash or flash, and it crashed. Rhythm Please by Billy Joel was 93. Mr. Wendell, Arrested Development. I Don't Want to Fight by Tina Turner. That's an amazing song. Seven by Prince. That's an <laughs> underrated Prince song. I can't believe that. And, and who knew Shaggy was putting on the... That's, that's the big takeaway from this, Josh Graham. Shaggy had a song in 1993. I didn't know it. There you go. That's a skip, I think. WD. Hayes, help I us out. I Got a Man by Positive K. Help us out real quick on the way out. Iron Eagle okay. recommended WD watch uh, Caddyshack for the first time. He watched that last night. Learned who Chevy Chase was in the last 24 hours, which was something. He knew Rodney Dangerfield and Bill Murray, though, so I guess that's not too bad. But um, greatest golf movie ever? That's Is it Caddyshack? Has to be, right? No. No. Happy Gilmore. Oh, come on. Like, Happy Gilmore is the same Happy- movie as Billy Madison. How, how, how are we going to no, get that? No, 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 no. Those are not the same movie. Essentially the Absolutely same movie. Absolutely not. No, no, no. Not the same movie at all. Completely different plots. Sandler is different character. He spans the acting genre in those two movies. But no, it's a, Happy Gilmore is absolutely the best movie about golf. Isn't it the same love interest in both movies? Or am I just imagining that? Same, same. No, act- they, they have the same initials, but that, that continues through multiple movies. Okay, understood. Uh, Veron- well, help, help us out here. Vanessa Bennett and, uh, you know. Help us out. So, The Departed and Goodfellas are movies that we've debated throwing WD's way. A listener said Pulp Fiction. I don't think WD's ready for that yet. So, Goodfellas. Oh, what do you mean? He's, is he 13? What, he needs, what, what, he what needs to see about? more good movies before he's ready for the Pulp Fiction experience. So, The Departed or Goodfellas, what's a better mob movie for WD to watch next week? Probably Goodfellas. Um, Departed, I think, won. Uh, I think it may have won an Oscar, but it was one of those like, oh, we missed you before, so now we're going to give you an Oscar. Now Scor- it was Scorsese's Oscar. Yeah. But yeah, Goodfellas is probably the better movie. Uh, and and De- Departed is great. I like The Departed, but uh, Goodfellas is probably better. Okay. Goodfellas is going to be the movie for next week then. I want to tell you, uh, here's how good Goodfellas is. I, I fell in love with Goodfellas when I was dating my now wife and we were at a friend's house of hers. This is like years ago, before we were even dating the time that we got married. We were in Washington, D.C. We were at a friend's house and I didn't care anything that, that they were talking about. They were just catching up. So I was just sitting there. But her friend had a, a movie on, it was on mute and it was Goodfellas. And I couldn't hear it and there was no like closed captioning. And I was just captivated by the the imagery and i'd never seen it before i was pretty late to the game on goodfellas but after that i was like well i definitely have to watch this movie now having seen it on mute and i feel like the movie is that compelling without even hearing the you know incredible soundtrack and all the dialogue that it must be a pretty darn good movie oh yeah that movie was the first movie to capitalize on the back end of um layla by clapton a lot of movies used layla the beginning but some that was the only movie I can remember that had the end of Layla in the movie. Yes. Don't and want to spoil too much. And then follow it up with Casino, too. You just go back yeah, to that, that does seem like a good double feature. WD, 
You got uh, Goodfellas for next week, Hayes Permar. Thanks for spending the time. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.